Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 16. We just want to highlight, though, that Luke 4 begins with the temptations of Jesus Christ in the wilderness, that uh, the Spirit leads Jesus, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit there. Uh, Verse 1, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then comes verse 16, we'll read to the end of the chapter. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you do in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We're especially focusing now on these words, beginning at verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. 
And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Let's just reread that verse 43 here. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Let's take our Bibles, um, turning to the end, we're getting Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I'll just take a sample from each chapter. The letters to the seven churches, Revelation 1 verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands that you saw are the seven churches. So I want to begin reading Revelation 2, and we'll read the first seven verses, and then we switch over to chapter 3. Here is an example of what the Apostle John had to write to the messenger of one of the seven churches. And um, I know a lot of Bibles have the word angel, and that throws you off. You might think of somebody with fluttery wings maybe a white, bright-colored being. But the word angelos in Greek is actually the word that you'd use for messenger. And it doesn't necessarily mean anybody special. It could be your ordinary pastor. It could be your elder. It could be a bishop at that time. To the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write this. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Chapter 3, let's begin at verse 7. To the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept 
my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the messenger of the angel, or, and to the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, write this. These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need, no need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, so I, will, so I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So far the reading of God's Word. We're going to sing Psalm 145 about that kingdom that's coming. Uh, verses 1, 3, and 4 after the sermon. Brothers and sisters loved by Jesus Christ, what is preaching? In a couple of weeks, classes, Northern Ontario will meet and examine a student, and we have the duty to ask him questions to see if he's prepared for the ministry. One of those questions is, what is preaching? How is preaching different from a lecture? And he should be able to point out how the Greek words are there. So many in the Bible have words that are compound, that it reflect urgency, causative action. He should be able to think of some of the Greek words that God uses for preaching. He should refer to opening and closing the kingdom of heaven. Preaching does that. Lectures don't do that. Maybe he'll think of Romans chapter 10. How can they preach unless they're sent? They must be sent by God. We're hearing Jesus this morning saying, I must do this. That is why I have been sent. For this purpose I have been sent, verse 44. So don't you think we should know what Jesus means by preaching? Is it okay to think that preaching is a 25-minute Bible lesson? 
Is it okay to think that after hearing a sermon, after these people have heard Jesus Christ preach, they all leave the town in Galilee, go home after that synagogue day, and share something new that they've heard, something that they haven't heard before, some light shed on the old Scripture, connecting Scripture with Scripture, seeing some pattern you hadn't seen before? Is that preaching? What is preaching? I bring to you the Word of God. Preaching is the coming of the kingdom. Preaching is the coming of the kingdom. I, I haven't found other people that say it this way. Most will say preaching is announcing the coming of the kingdom. But I bring to you that preaching is the coming of the kingdom. Put on airplane mode. Preaching is not just an announcement. It's the advance of the kingdom. It's the forward march of the kingdom of God in light and power and authority. Think of an army. Or you think of the Second World War. How the army of the Germans approached quickly. They called this Blitzkrieg. It made advance. That was unique to the Second World War, the way it moved with haste. As Christ preaches, you will see Satan retreat. It's like turning the light on and all the cockroaches just flee the room. As Jesus begins his preaching ministry, he does it for three years. He's preaching, and his kingdom is advancing in that time. Before you come to the cross, before you hear of Jesus Christ giving his life in your place as a sacrifice to God to take away your sins, to be your righteousness, for three years you have been shown Jesus Christ preaching and Satan's dominion of darkness has been taking a beating for three years already. That is what preaching does. It ought to give Satan's dominion of darkness a beating. The passage we're looking at this morning begins and ends with preaching. That's what Luke is, is highlighting. Right here, he's showing you. We have a whole section about preaching, and there are ways, before underlining and highlighting and bold print was invented, how did the old writers like Luke highlight, bold, and underline? He did something called bracketing. He began the subject about something, and he finished it. And so we have beginning and ending with preaching. Look at verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Lord has anointed me to preach. Verse 31, uh, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. It's right in the middle, in the thick of it. And verse 43, I must preach, for this purpose I was sent. And we get chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus is saying to some fishermen, from now on you will catch men. You will also be preaching. That's one way you can see the bracketing. You know this is about preaching. How can you tell Luke is on about preaching? 
He's using every word in his thesaurus about preaching. You look in your thesaurus and you'll find words in the Greek language, preach, proclaim, teach, evangelize, which is a way of saying gospelize, herald. Everyone in the Greek language is here. You know it's about preaching. And, and it's about rebuking. Is that the first thing you think of when you think of preaching? Rebukes? Three times we have the word rebuke. The Capernaum de- demon, the fever is rebuked, and rebuking more demons. So I looked up that word because do, we, do I know what that means? Do you know what it means? To express sharp disapproval. That's what rebuke is. To express sharp disapproval. You'll remember the times your mom or dad says, stop it. Or you've said some, to someone, get out of here. We have that word rebuke, but what does it have to do with preaching? Let me read 2 Timothy 4. Paul writes to Timothy, who's a pastor, and Paul writes, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. And now, let me just pull this together because I've got to summarize what Luke 4 has been about. In verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You hear this good news beginning, right? Remember, he opened the scroll and he's like, The Spirit has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. I am proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's acceptance, His grace, His love, His mercy. I hope you hear that. And I hope you hear the rebuke that comes with it. You're getting this picture. What is preaching? And it is no less than shoving Satan back. In the spiritual battle of two kingdoms fighting, you see Satan, his illegitimate kingdom and Satan. He wants Jesus. Remember in in, uh, the temptation in the wilderness, Satan wants Jesus to bow down and worship him. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world that I've illegally gotten, and you can have them right now. Just bow down and worship me. And then you saw that kingdom, Satan's darkness. There's Nazareth. They hear a sermon from Jesus. His hometown hears in their synagogue, and they want to rush Jesus right off the edge of a cliff. This is when we hear rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. And this is preaching. The kingdom of God coming as Jesus preaches. You have good news in the same package as a rebuke. It's the year of the Lord's acceptance, His favor, and sharp disapproval. Get out of here in the same package. That is preaching. So Luke lines us up. You hear Jesus Christ preach. The kingdom is coming. And watch what it means. 
You can, you can see it for yourself, what preaching is. Firstly, when the demon hears this. Secondly, when the fever hears this. And thirdly, when the crowds of Galilee hear this. First of all, you can see preaching in action when the first demon sees and hears Jesus. Look at what happens in that synagogue of Capernaum. Verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. As I read this, and as I read it now, I wonder how long this man had been part of the synagogue You know how I compare synagogue to church back then? Had he been there every week of his life, this man? Is this his first outburst? How long has he had this demon? I ask these questions because isn't it strange to think this through, that Satan himself goes to church? Luke, remember, he's a doctor uses a few words to describe what's going on with this man. And he says he had a spirit of an unclean demon. Wow, that's a lot of words. Spirit. That's a demon, isn't it? Why are you saying spirit of an unclean demon? You're getting the picture that inside this man... His inner being is gross. You you have the word unclean. Absolutely disgusting in God's expression. This is from the Old Testament language. Unclean. And we have this man in in a synagogue possessed. He's demonized. I'm not sure if the word possessed is right. But he he is filled with one of these fallen angels. We call them demons. There's a messenger of Satan in his heart polluting this man from the inside out. And there's a way you can say this with Isaiah 61. Remember that quote we began our reading with? The opposite of that. This man is inspired by Satan. The spirit of Satan is upon him. The spirit of Satan has anointed this man to proclaim bad news. And this man is used by Satan to proclaim and to preach and teach with all authority and he will rebuke. That's what Satan is doing. There's in the original language, huh. A great word in Greek. It is a rebuke word and, and a word best describing sharp displeasure. And our translation has this, let us alone. It's pretty hard to just make that guttural sound. So let's put it into English. Let us alone. It's a version of Jesus, get out of here. And now we have, you can see this, right? Luke's painted this for us. It's a clash of two kingdoms. Satan goes to church to confront Jesus. To preach against Jesus. Doing what he does so often, like the temptations in the wilderness. He says a lot of true things. Satan does that. And he says them with authority. Did not God say this? 
And Satan says, I know who you are. Jesus of Nazareth. What have we to do with you? Did you come to destroy us? It sure seems like it. We were doing fine until you showed up. Think of the Satan saying that. Our prayers, our scripture reading, our psalm singing, whatever we do in synagogue was fine until you showed up. We were doing things decently and in good order until you showed up. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. First thing, the main thing on their mind, of the, the mind of the demons, is that they will soon be destroyed. Luke chapter 8, you remember uh, the demons that go into the pigs. They would be tormented. They're, they're asking not if they will be tormented, but when they will be tormented, sent to the abyss, never to come back. Is it right now? Have you come to destroy us right now? And when did the trouble start? That Sabbath day. When Jesus Christ began to preach. That is what stirred on Satan. That's when the chaos and the outburst. When Jesus began preaching the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It's at hand. It is here. And your kingdom, Satan, your dominion of darkness, it's done for. Be quiet and get out of him. And suddenly it's over. The Lord Jesus has violently disrupted Satan. It's like he has kicked Satan to the ground and kicked him out of the synagogue. Luke is showing us what preaching is. Preaching is the coming of the kingdom. Literally, the kingdom coming. Does it sound gentle? Does it sound loving? Does it sound all-inclusive? Satan left. In case you missed it, Luke writes this in verse 35. We see the man... The demon had come out of the man and it did not hurt him. Literally, having done him no harm. And this is the miracle of Christ's preaching. Two things happening simultaneously. The man who had been demonized, he is suffering no harm. He is now doing okay. The devil has used him for a bit. The devil threw him down to the ground. And now this man gets up. He suffered no harm. And you see a glimpse of heaven right now. A man who is doing well. He's restored. Remember Isaiah 61? Jesus had said, The Spirit's anointed me. This is fulfilled in your hearing. Right now as I speak, I've got gospel for the powerless one, the poor. I've got sight for the blind and, guess what? Liberty for the captive. Freedom for somebody who's been under the power of Satan. Look at him. My preaching does this. 
I need to make the point clear that preaching must disturb Satan or it's not preaching. It can't simply be true. For it to be preaching, it can't simply be true. Satan is not disturbed by the Bible. He quotes it all the time. Satan and the demons are only upset by the preaching of Christ's kingdom, the advance of Christ's kingdom, the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit of Christ, the authority of Christ. That's what drives him mad. As your preacher, this is what I'm aiming for. If I bring the word of Christ with authority, like Paul says to Timothy, convincing, rebuking, exhorting, this is the greatest joy for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If you're like me, I want to know that my flesh, Paul calls it, my old sinful nature is getting kicked to the curb. I want to know my sinful desires, they promise me so much. If I just give in, I want my sinful appetites to be kicked to the curb. They never deliver what they're promising. And I rejoice. I rejoice when the lies of the world are exposed to be lies. The useless idols of the world what the world celebrates, what the world is afraid of, everything that the world teaches, I want that exposed. I want to hear Jesus say, do not love the world. They promise so much happiness, but they're so empty. I rejoice when Satan takes a beating. That is what preaching is meant to do. And if you're in Christ Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Savior, His preaching is a surge to your new identity, your new nature. You want to hear Jesus Himself say, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are meek. And it seems like people are walking all over you. Blessed are you when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You want to hear Jesus say that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Yours is the kingdom. You want him to say that to you. Yours is the kingdom. Because it sure seems like it's not. And if you are in Christ, you can't take this in fast enough. His words of comfort and freedom are light and life to you. So you've got this going on. That if Christ is preaching, you see Satan and his demon and his lies, the lies of the world, they all cringe and they cower and they back out. They're backing out of your heart and they shudder. And hopefully they back out from us. The demon of Capernaum, he hears the advance of the kingdom and he is terrified. Am I about to be destroyed? Is his first thought. The kingdom of God is advancing. 
It's coming. It's taking over. And Satan and those who live in this darkness, if you are of the world, if you belong to Satan, you know it's not a safe place for you. Anywhere near the preaching. It's not a safe place for your old nature. It's not a safe place for someone living outside of Christ. But right now, if Christ is preaching, there are people who sit up, who are freed, people who are filled with joy right now. And if we were of a tradition to say hallelujah, we would even say hallelujah right now. Joy fills your heart because with authority and power, you know Satan is kicked and you are lifted up. The humble are exalted. The last have become first. Verse 36. There's this amazement. Your response. What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So what are we supposed to see in, in Luke chapter 4? You see preaching in action. What preaching does. And it's not just words and it's not just for learning. You, yeah, you, we should learn. But it's the authority and the power and the Spirit of God at work. Anointed by the Spirit to do serious damage to the kingdom of darkness. That's why I'm your pastor. That the kingdom of God may advance. That's why God sends us pastors. Preachers. Let's go to our second point. You can see what preaching the kingdom means when even a fever listens. Verses 38 and 39 says this. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon's just another word for Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Remember Luke's a doctor, the fellow who's written this letter, this gospel, from a couple thousand years ago. I need to point out that to modern day people who love science and medicine, that demons are not the same as sicknesses, and they knew that even back then. Demons are not the same as sicknesses and illnesses and fevers. Some things... Even illnesses and disabilities have demonic connections, but not always. This fever doesn't refer to any kind of a demon. Anyway, here's Peter's mother-in-law. And you can go on a little tangent and realize, okay, so not all the apostles were single. Peter had a wife, right? That's a little side topic. But... Peter also cares about his mother-in-law. That might be another side topic. He loves his mother-in-law. She has a high fever. A great fever, Dr. Luke calls it, which back then is to be distinguished from ordinary fevers. This is 
a mega fever. Super bad news. We don't know what's causing it. We absolutely do not know what to do about it. She is likely to die soon. And look at what Jesus does. He, there's the word, rebukes the fever. What's that mean? Jesus says something sharp, sharp disapproval, something unpleasant for the fever. He makes the fever extremely uncomfortable. Get lost. Go away. Chill out. And there you go. It left her. This is preaching. Just with a different picture this time. This is preaching. It's the advancement, the coming of the kingdom. And it is not merely getting rid of Satan and the demons. Now it's even the curse, even the ripple effects of Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Even the curse is unsettled. All the messed up brokenness of this world is given notice as Christ preaches. You are on the way out, you misery, you tears, you hunger, you pain, you loneliness, you death, sickness. You're not here for long. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Jesus Christ speaks of that coming kingdom. And behind it, you can think of Genesis 3 and the curse that God put upon this world. Man in his work, the thorns and the thistles that would make it toil, make him toil and sweat. Genesis 3 about the pain associated for the women with regard to having children. And Jesus Christ preaches and he proclaims and he rebukes with just a sharp word. Here's one example of a curse that I've just lifted. Curse that I've just removed. And the fever leaves. So don't miss this. Again, it's about the kingdom of heaven replacing what Satan has for some kind of a kingdom. The kingdom of God is being restored, and Peter's mother-in-law is instantly in perfect health. It's like she's entered heaven. It's that instant. And here's a sample of heaven. You see Peter's mother-in-law with a tray of baking, and she's serving people. And it's not just showing that she's healed, and that she's healed really quickly, She didn't have to wait for her body to recover and get her strength back. But Jesus Christ was proclaiming liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, gospel for the poor, the helpless. And the curse left. Darkness has turned to light. This is what Jesus' preaching does. It's not just news about some coming kingdom eventually. Each word that you hear from Christ is the sound of His own footsteps approaching. We are that near. Don't despair. Don't sell your soul to the devil for one last chance of happiness. Whatever it is you desire, don't sell your soul for it. Persevere and repent and turn to God. Find shelter in Christ Jesus. Find forgiveness in His blood. The, the curse will soon be lifted. 
And if you are in Christ Jesus, you know what that means. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous right now. You're a new creation. You walk around differently. And you begin serving. So those, those were the first two verses. Our second point, though, continues. After this fever, the same kind of thing happens the whole evening long. Verse 40. When the sun was setting at the end of the Sabbath day, now you can start carrying, traveling, carrying loads. All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. You have now combined two things. Demons and disease. And you're flooded with this at the end of the day. Whether these diseases are caused by demons, whether they're separate groups, that there's the demonized and then there are the disease, it doesn't matter. The underlying cause, whatever this massive healing is going on, notice the darkness was about to descend. The sun was setting. Maybe that's going to be scary. No, you see moms and dads taking their children. They're taking family members who are the weak. You see people who are broken. They're hobbling toward Jesus Christ as the sun is setting. And here's a picture of what preaching does. Demons are leaving. They're on the run. And believers are gathering. They are seeking Jesus. They're finding Him. They're lining up. We want life. We want healing. We want your kingdom. You've heard about the prophet, the spirit anointed one, the Christ. You've heard that in Isaiah 61. You've heard about his kingdom coming and you see this king in action. What's he doing with his hands? He places his hands upon his people, every one of them. Verse 40, he laid his hands on every one of them. Jesus Christ. Do you know of any time Jesus Christ was silent when he laid his hands on someone? It's kind of a trick question. I can think of so many times, maybe all the time, when Jesus laid his hands on someone. Mark chapter 10. On the children, he blessed them. It's always with blessing that goes together. And Christ has, you can see, Christ has not stopped preaching. The sun was setting, it was getting dark, even as Satan's hour is approaching, this is preaching. Jesus Christ rebuking demons and diseases while blessing. That's the act of laying hands upon. Blessing His children. My kingdom is here. This is how my kingdom comes. And he shows it. He shows his preaching. One more thing. We got our third point yet. 
crowds. The crowds in Galilee, they line up the next morning. Verses 42 to 44, look now at the end of the chapter. When it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. It's the wilderness. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them, which is amazing. It's kind of the opposite of what Nazareth did. They tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Here's the main thing. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I came to preach. And then, Jesus Christ leaves people behind. He has left broken people behind in those towns. Hurting people. Depressed. Demonized. Diseased. And Jesus said, I'm preaching. I have to give Satan more of a beating. I have to usher in paradise. It's coming closer. And those miracles, those signs and wonders, they're not only saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God, but those miracles were saying, here's a kingdom gift I'm leaving with. Here's a sample of the kingdom of heaven. You will break down again. I, I can heal you instantly. I will lay my hands on you and bless you. But you will get sick again in your life. You will hurt. And you will die again. All flesh is grass. Isaiah 40. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. I must go and preach there also. This is what the crowds in Galilee find out. That his word is forever. His kingdom is forever. And right now, what kind of healing do we need most? What is the eternal healing? Yeah, you guessed it. Sight for the blind. Gospel for the poor. Release freedom, liberty for the captive. We need to see Jesus Christ right now with his word the hands of His Word laid upon us. I need to hear His blessing while He rebukes sin and Satan in my life. That's what will get me up. That's what will get me going for this entire week, for my life, if I can live on His preaching. Do you see the miracle of preaching? It takes dead people and makes them alive. It makes weak people, makes them strong, it makes those who are despairing joyful. Preaching lasts longer than any healing. And we're at the edge of Luke chapter 4, and if you were to glance at Luke 5, you realize Jesus is gathering disciples. Jesus is planning for more preaching, right? Gathering and sending disciples. Jesus Christ has been given all authority, you think of Matthew 28, all authority over heaven and earth. Go therefore, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, surely I am with you. 
And as Jesus ascends into heaven, His hands are outstretched. He lays His hands upon us, blessing us. And from heaven right now, what is Christ Jesus doing? Say preaching. He is sending preachers. His kingdom is coming. I wanted to give you that taste from Revelation because you see it, especially if you understand literally letters written to literal seven churches. Apostle John writing instructions, okay? The pastor of that church, he needs to know what Jesus sees going on in that church. Be blunt with them. This is a faithful... Like, for example, um, we've got Laodicea. She's lukewarm. But she thinks she's rich, she's wealthy, she thinks she needs nothing, but I tell her, Jesus is rebuking her, tell her she's wretched and miserable and poor and blind. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Seven letters to the seven churches. There's Philadelphia. Make sure she knows she's faithful because, yeah, she's suffering and there's, there's persecution going on. Let her know that I love her. You can do this for each of the seven churches and realize that Jesus Christ wants His people to know His kingdom is coming. As I close off, I want to highlight something else in the gospel, or in the the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of our Lord Jesus Christ, risen into heaven. That's really a good title for uh, Acts. But there's this expression that shows up. Maybe you gloss over it. Shows up, the word of God spread. My favorite, Acts 12, verse 24. The word of God grew and multiplied. Think about that. It has all the sound of Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And you're supposed to hear this. That as Jesus Christ is in heaven, He sends preachers and He gets people who who have taken in the preaching. They have heard the word of God and they increase it. They multiply it. And this kingdom of God grows and increases. Be fruitful and multiply. That is now the new kingdom's mission. You belong to Jesus Christ. Make sure the word of God is fruitful and multiply. What is preaching? It's the approach of the kingdom of God into your heart into the church and into the world Amen